Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. All right, welcome to another Conference USA edition of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com. SB Nation's home for G5 football, Joe Londergan and Eric Henry here with you as always, ready to get into some Western Kentucky Hilltopper talk uh, with today's special guest. Uh, you recognize him from his coverage in the Bowling Green Daily News of Western Kentucky Athletics, Mr. Jared McDonald at Sports on twitter recommend following him for all your uh, tops updates jared how you doing today not bad always happy to hop on uh the podcast with you guys so you know i'm excited to talk some cusa football and some western football i know i am too i, I know our audience never well i was going to say they never really get tired of me but they pretty much instantly get tired of me uh talking about western <laughs> kentucky but um and i don't know what do you think eric do you think uh folks have had enough about me spilling my guts out about uh, my love for the hilltoppers yet well, listen, it, the fact of the matter is, you know, you're the Western Kentucky guy. I cover FIU. So I think it goes both ways. You know, I think people inherently get a little bit tired of us leaning towards our, our coverage routes. But uh, I will say, as someone who's hosted this podcast with you for four years, um, I'm always tired of your big red love. That I could do without. But your fandom of, of Western, nah, I, I think that works. Eric, if you talk bad about Big Red again, we're going to have problems. Do you understand? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I expected some kind of reaction, and there was too much. Like, oh no, I made him mad. Anyway, you know, you make maps legitimately. Well, never mind. I won't derail this podcast. We got Jared on, but I think I've talked about my fear of mascots. So that's that's true. Weird. Yeah, it, it's it's an equal <laughs> opportunity fear. Like I went to UCF, and I don't like Nitro. I, I crossed the other side of the street when Nitro was coming. So, like Western fans, it's 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 all the way around. Big Red is a very specific type of nightmare fuel for different people, but for me, he's he's my best buddy, and uh, I love Big Red. Uh, anyway, Jared, football. Let's let's do it. A um, little bit of breaking news that we were talking about a little bit off air, but uh, a lot of new additions to the Western support staff. Uh, new director of player engagement, uh, new director of scouting, new director of player personnel. Um, you know, I know we were talking about uh, a lot of relatively unknown names on that list, but uh, curious your thoughts on the impact of getting those positions hired straight away. Uh, you know, I think it's huge for Western. They lost, you know, two really good recruiters and Zach Grant and Taylor Brown, um, who had been here for, you know, the last several years. They were really big and working the portal and trying to get those guys, you know, like 24%, I believe, of Western Kentucky's roster last year were transfer portal guys. So that's a big loss when, you know, they take off. I know Zach Grant's at Ohio State now, so he's, um, you know, taking what most people consider a step up. But, you know, they hired, I believe, six new people to the support staff in varying roles. Uh, So that'll give them a chance to, you know, compete in a new age of recruiting. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they're going to need all the help they can get uh, when it comes to uh, dealing with the schedule that they have. What were your kind of thoughts on, as an outside observer, on the offseason reload this go round? Do you think they did enough to uh, be as competitive as they were last year? I think they did. I don't think the offense will be quite as potent as it was last year. Um, but, you know, that's tough to do when you have a guy that threw for an NCAA record 62 touchdowns and, you know, nearly 6,000 yards. Um, but, you know, they've got, a, I think, a good crew in the quarterback room. That's where it all starts. That's what Tyson Helton always says. It starts with the trigger man. Um, you know, they've got six guys in there now, and I believe the front runner right now is probably going to be Jarrett Dagey, the West Virginia transfer. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they've got several guys in there. They brought three back that hadn't really seen a ton of action. They signed Caden Veltkamp out of South Warren High School here in Bowling Green. Um, I know a lot of people had, you know, loved watching him play growing up. Uh, he had been a starter there at the, you know, the local high school for three years, and this year led the team to a state championship. Um, and then, like I said, um, the three that came back were Drew Zobby, Darius Ocean, and Chance McDonald. Then they also signed Austin Reed late, um, you know, a kid out of West Florida. He won a national title there at the D2 level. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, you know, they bring back, quite a bit in the receiver room. They lost their last uh, top two receivers from last year and Jared Stearns and Mitchell Tinsley. Uh, they brought a couple of guys in from the, the Mac and, um, you know, Western Michigan's Jalen Hall and Akron's Michael Matheson, um, you know, who they expect big things from, you know, bring back guys like David Davis and Dalvin Smith and Craig Burt Jr. Um, the O-line is going to be, you know, there's some question marks there. They lost three starters there. Um, including those two guys on the outside and Cole Spencer and Mason Brooks, who transferred to, you know, Power Five programs. Um, also, Bo Wilson, who, you know, is up, his eligibility is um, ran out. So there'll be some question marks there as well. Uh, obviously, without Zach Kitley there, you know, there's going to be some questions because he was kind of the mastermind behind that offense, but his protege and uh, Ben Arbuckle is kind of calling the shots now. He's one of three co-OCs. Uh, on the staff right now, he's a quarterback's coach, and Tyson's had said, um, you know, he's going to be the guy calling plays on Saturdays because they need one voice there. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I don't think it'll be as, you know, as big of a step back as some might think. Yeah, I mean, with all that new personnel and, and the cup kind of running over in the quarterback room specifically, um, I'm curious what you've observed from spring practice thus far and, and any additional insight from those practices um, that have informed your, you know, uh, perspective on these position battles that you just mentioned so far? Uh, they allow us to watch, you know, just very little of practice. We can't see any formational stuff or anything like that. So it's a lot of the individual work. So it's tough to really say how that might translate to an in-game situation. But, um, you know, I think Jared Dagey's made a lot of great throws. He's usually, um, you know, pretty accurate, pretty accurate on the deep ball from what I've seen. Um, you know, again, that's just the individual skills. So, um, you know, it might be different come game time, but he's an experienced guy. Uh, you know, I believe at West Virginia for three years and then Bowling Green State before that. Um, you know, a lot of the observations come from talking to coaches. And the one thing that Josh Crawford, another co-OC and the, the receivers coach said was that in that position, they've got a lot of speed. Um, and that's something that he thinks will put a lot of defense uh, pressure on defenses vertically. You got you bring a guy like Daywood Davis back. Um, He's a speedster. He's got that big playability to take the top off the defense. And then the thing with Matheson and Hall from, you know, the two Mac transfers, they, they think that they just bring even more speed to that room. And then, like I said, you've got some solid faces in there. 
Um, there's still a lot of question marks, like I had said, but you know, so far it's tough to exactly say what it could turn out being. I think we'll have more answers when it comes to the spring game on April 23rd. Um, but then again, you never know what happens in the spring game and what it'll mean for the season because last year in the spring game, Bailey Zappi threw four interceptions and two pick sixes, and then he comes out and breaks a couple NCAA records, uh, you know, a few months later. So I, I don't know if we'll be able to tell much before April, uh, August 27th when they open up the season against Austin P. Yeah, I could pick your brain about the the offense all day, um, but you know I'll, I'll ask you one more question about that before we we move it forward a little bit. Um, with three OCs, uh, obviously it's it's something that has been done at this level of college football before, but it's not exactly common. So curious, you know, do you think this is going to be beneficial for the the personnel that the tops have in there right now, or is it a uh, too many cooks in the kitchen kind of situation? I don't necessarily think it'll be too many cooks in the kitchen. It's not something, you know, that hasn't been seen at Western Kentucky before. These, I look at the last two years, for example. Last year, Zach Kittley comes in, and he's the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Brian Ellis took – I don't even know if they would consider it a step back, but he was the offensive coordinator before, and he took on a co-OC role um, and worked with receivers last year. And the year before that, when Brian Ellis was, um, you know, the OC – they had Ryan Applin as a co-OC. So there's been, you know, multiple cooks in the kitchen to steal your phrase before, and it's worked out for them, um, you know, more so last year than in 2020, obviously. Um, but I think that goes back to some of the players on the roster too, um, you know, comparing the two teams from these last two seasons that they've played. Um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how it works out. I think making sure it's, um, you know, said and stated that Ben Arbuckle will be the guy calling plays on Saturdays kind of helps you know, differentiate things a little bit. Um, you know, Tyson Helms, the quarterback's guy, and where Arbuckle's the quarterback's coach, it just kind of falls in line. Um, he says that Crawford and Zach Langford, the O-line coach and the other co-OC, uh, will have a ton of input. Um, you know, Tyson always says that he preserves their right to have that input as well, uh, being the head man. Um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how it works out, but I don't think, you know, those having those three people in that kind of co-OC role um, will really – be that different than what's been done in the past at Western under Tyson Helton. Shifting to the defense here, uh, what, in your opinion, should we expect from that unit under the direction of new defensive coordinator Tyson Summers? Um, you know, I'm not really sure. There's a lot of questions on that defense. Um, you know, this is the third defensive coordinator they've had in the last three years. Going back to Clayton White, who's now at South Carolina in that same position, you know, having a lot of success there. They had Maurice Crum as the defensive coordinator last year. He had served in a co-DC role under White in White's final year. Now, you know, Coach Crum is in a defensive staff position at Ole Miss, so he's moved on to the Power 5 level as well. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of turnover, and it's not just the defensive coordinators. It's all across that, um, you know, defensive coaching staff. Uh, I talked to Kenny Baker uh, recently. He's the defensive line coach. He's been there, you know, a few years now, and he's kind of that consistent face across that defensive staff. Um, Andy LaRusse had coached in, um, you know, some of the position groups on the defense before, but now he's working with the tight ends in addition to his assistant head coach and, you know, special teams coordinator roles. Um, Kinoto Hudson's back as the cornerbacks coach. Um, you know, they brought in Scott Vestal and Michael Hutchings as the inside and outside linebackers coaches. So there's been a lot of turnover on the staff, um, you know, in addition to the defensive coordinator. Um, you know, talking to Tyson Summers, he's 
a guy that's been around the block a time or two. You know, he's been a head coach. He's been defensive coordinator. Um, and when you talk to him, he's very good at being interviewed. Um, he doesn't let a lot slip on what he wants to do. Um, you know, for example, you could ask him what players have stood out, and he'll talk for, you know, three or four minutes without naming a single player. Um, so you have to kind of pick his brain a little bit more, and it's like a chess match almost with him. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what they do. And, you know, on that side of the ball, there's so much turnover with the players too. Um, you know, specifically, I look at a guy like D'Angelo Malone, the two-time CUSA Defensive Player of the Year in, uh, you know, 19 and then 21. Um, and, you know, they've got a lot of other positions to fill on that side of the ball as well. So it'll be interesting to see. I know they want to, you know, every defensive coordinator says, you know, you want to get to the quarterback, you want to be disruptive, you want to create turnovers. But you know, actually doing that's a different story. So I think it'll be interesting to see what they can do under Tyson Summers. Yeah, I think a, a particular concern of mine after watching all their film from last year is just shoring up that middle of the field in terms of, you know, blocking the run at the middle. I think you saw a lot of issues there when they played, you know, Army, for example, who runs that that triple option as well as they do. When you talk about the uh, that defensive line, you mentioned D'Angelo Malone leaving. Uh, they they had some other issues with injuries and, and other guys departing that group over the offseason here. Um, do you think there's going to be um, a significant either fall in, in production from them, or do you think they're going to be able to get back to where they were in terms of defending the run in the middle of the field? You know, I think they'll be all right. Um, I think they'll be fine in that regard. Um, I don't think it – will be a, a bad spot for them necessarily. Uh, I don't know if it'll be as productive as it has been, you know, with a guy like D'Angelo Malone leaving. And they also lose a longtime starter in Jeremy Darvin at the tackle position. Um, you know, they bring back Juwan Jones, who's been starting here for years now, you know, just a very smart player. He's made some plays and he's, you know, been a consistent presence for them. Um, you know, while Tyson Helton has been here as the head coach, uh, they bring back Darius Ship, who is a starter uh, at the tackle position. Last year as well, he's not participating, um, you know, in spring ball, uh, according to Tyson Helton, um, you know, dealing with an injury now. Um, and, you know, talking to Kenny Baker, the defensive line coach, um, you know, recently, he talks about wanting to, you know, mix guys in and get a lot of guys in there staying fresh and, and stuff like that. I know they've got some uh, guys that maybe didn't see a lot of action last year that they're hoping to, um, you know, making me take that step up. I think of a Mike Allen or a Broderick Martin who came on strong towards the end of the year. Um, you know, not just on defense, but made some special teams plays as well. Um, Nico Cooper's a Nebraska transfer that, um, you know, I think they're excited about this fall as well. You know, Marcus Bragg, I believe he went in the portal, but I was told he's still with the team. Um, it's It's difficult to kind of gauge a team with all this portal stuff too. And, you know, they still want to sign kids and stuff like that. Um, you know, Terry on Thompson was a kid that Coach Baker had said, um, you know, he's another local kid from Bowling Green um, that he has high hopes for this year, maybe take that step up. So, you know, I don't necessarily, like I said, know if it'll be as productive without guys like D'Angelo Malone, Jeremy Darvin in there, uh, longtime starters. But, you know, I think they've got some pieces that, you know, have some promising futures. It's funny you mentioned Juwan Jones. I feel like when he started it at Western, the Harlem Shake was the big thing. That's how long it feels like he's been at Western at this point. Uh, I forgot the Harlem Shake it, was even a thing. I, I know, right? When when that is like a throwback reference, that's how you know you 
maybe been in the game a little bit too long, but um, <laughs> or just it's, time is moving way too fast. But anyway, um, when you look at the schedule for this Western team in the fall, Jared, uh, what game strikes you as the most important one for the tops? The most important one? You know, I think measuring stick-wise, I would look at October 8th against UTSA and San Antonio. They played them twice last year. You know, the last time was for the USA Championship. And I don't think they had a showing that they were very happy with. Um, I think the first game, you know, they got down big and came back and had a chance to win it at the end, um, but were unable to do so. And, you know, where UTSA is the returning champion, top dog in the league, um, you know, going to be gone after this season, going to the AAC, you know, Jeff Trailers back there, done a great job. I think that's a game to watch out for, to kind of see where they're at. It's fairly early in their CUSA schedule. Uh, they open their CUSA play with FIU at home. Um, so I think that's a big one. You know, they've got some um, intriguing non-conference games. I look at a game at Hawaii. Um, you know, that's just interesting because so far away. Um, you know, you never know what's going to happen with a travel schedule like that. They've got Indiana on the road as well. Um, you know, the Hoosiers came to Bowling Green last year, and that was the game. I also think Western thought that they, they could have won and maybe should have won, um, but didn't. That was still when they were struggling a little bit early against a tough non-con schedule. Um, but, yeah, I'd say those are probably maybe not the most important, but the most intriguing on the early part of their schedule. Um, and then you've got a UAB team on there too at home. Um, you know, they've had some, some good games over the years. They didn't play last year, but, um, you know, tough game for the Hilltoppers with a, a pretty bad offense um, a couple of years ago in Birmingham. But then you look at the year before in Tyson Nelson's first year, uh, they're able to beat UAB at home. So I think that's an intriguing matchup as well. And then, you know, the next to last game on their schedule is at Auburn, you know, Power 5 team, SEC team. So that one's always got to be circled on your schedule as being an intriguing game. Maybe not necessarily as important um, as, you know, some of these USA games, but, you know, it's a big-time matchup and a great opportunity for them. Definitely need to make it to that game at UTSA for sure. And as somebody who just came back from Hawaii, I can tell you there's more similarities than you'd think between uh, Warren County and, and the island of Oahu. Maybe not in terms of views, but definitely in terms of appreciation of barbecue and mayonnaise. So Eric, we'll have to check that out. Uh, one more question before I, I turn it over to him for his line of questioning. Um, Jared, you've been in Kentucky for about six years, and I think one issue that uh, you know happens at a lot of the directional schools in the area is, you know, you go to some place like Western, and you see a lot of U of L stuff, a lot of uh, a lot of you know Kentucky Wildcats gear, some of the other SEC schools as well. Uh, given the success that the programs achieved um, in, the, in those last six years, uh, do you feel like Western is the favorite team on their own campus now, or do you feel like they still have some? Uh, some room for improvement in that regard. You know, I think it's getting to the point where there's more, um, you know, hometown fans, those pure Western fans uh, on the campus. But it also depends on where the kids are coming from. You know, if the kids are coming from Western, from the Louisville area, or from, you know, more of the Eastern part of the state, you still might see some UK gear on them. But, you know, for the area, I think there's a lot of passionate fans. Um, there's a lot of people that care about Western sports, a lot of people that, um, you know, will voice their opinion about Western Kentucky sports, and that's because they want to see them do well. Um, and that's because they have done well, and, you know, they expect them to continue to do well. 
Um, so, you know, I think it, it's still a pretty fair mix, but I'd say there's, you know, probably more pure Hilltopper fans than maybe at some point in history. Very comforting. Eric, with that, I'll pass the baton to you and uh, just know this is a big red slander free zone. I'm watching you. <laughs> Before we come back to that, Joe, I want to ask you this. You And yes, I know Jared's our guest, but I need to ask you a question first. In the four and a half years you've known me, what the hell makes you think I want to have any appreciation for mayonnaise? <laughs> so what, what you know about me? What makes you think that I, I was, you know, something? You know, fair. I don't know. I didn't know if I was rubbing off on you in any way, but... <laughs> You've you've rubbed off on me in, in certain ways. The uh, the preaching for mayonnaise that's a that's going to be a no, sir. Uh, Jared, we'll jump into things with Western. I'll, I'll Fair enough. I'll, I'll piggyback off of Joe's last question because uh, it was a curiosity of mine. You know, uh, I think as a matter of fact, the the week of the FIU game, uh, I think we may have been uh, together uh, the day before the game when some conference realignment news either happened or that week. It was all kind of a blur. But my question, Jared, is this. What's the feeling around uh, whether it's Western Kentucky athletics and or uh, the fan base in general as far as their position within realignment? Are, are they you know, are they content with being in Conference USA? Was there some disappointment around not being part of the realignment? Just kind of you know, give us your, uh, your read on things there. I think um, the feelings about it have died down a lot since it was in – you know, peak realignment season. Um, you know, I expected that to happen about a week later. People would stop caring as much. But I still think people are pretty unhappy that Western Kentucky is in Conference USA still or the new look Conference USA. Because, um, I mean, they weren't really happy with Conference USA and the way a lot of things were done before then. But I don't necessarily think it's a bad spot for Western Kentucky to be. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, positives to look at in the conference um, you know there's there's certainly negatives and we've talked about those you know over the last couple of years that we've known each other um, and you know a lot of people voice those opinions on social media as well but a lot of it was out of western Kentucky's hands um, you know you look at the schools that the AAC took they're taking some of these big market teams and frankly a lot of teams that haven't been around a while that have a lot of potential for growth. I look at a UTSA who's, you know, I feel like they're just scratching the surface of what they could be, um, you know, especially with Coach Trailer staying there. I think he's done a fantastic job, and I think that that program will only continue to go up while he's there. And, you know, they're making those investments. And, um, you know, you look at a, a Charlotte. Charlotte's a great city, man. I love it there. Um, you know, they haven't had maybe the level of success that gets them, you know, considered to what a lot of people would think would you know, make them a candidate for a move like that. But, you know, there's still a lot of potential there um, for growth. Um, and then obviously with a team like FAU, um, you know, you got some money there. You got, you know, great recruiting grounds, um, you know, bigger market as well. So I think it, it is what it is for Western Kentucky. I think the most disappointing part for them was, you know, potentially an opportunity of going to the MAC. Um, that kind of ended when Middle Tennessee said, no, we're going to stay put in Conference USA. We're going to collect that money that's coming in from these departing teams. Um, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for Middle Tennessee or what ended up being for Western Kentucky as well, because that gives them, you know, some money in their pocket. They can make some, um, you know, facility renovations. They can hire some people, whatever they want to do, because um, I don't think realignment's quite done yet. I still think we'll see some teams moving in these next couple of years as, 
you know, these parts continue to shift. So I don't necessarily think it's a, a bad spot for Western Kentucky at the moment. So I'm going to piggyback off that and kind of go into what I think is on the minds of a lot of fans of teams that are remaining, not necessarily the teams that are coming in, but the FIUs, Westerns, Middles, UTEPs, you know, in terms of Western Kentucky, and I'm going to limit this to the fan base. I don't want to put you on the spot in terms of athletics and have to talk about, you know, that aspect of things, but is there a feeling that given what will be this next, I guess this would be the third incarnation of Conference USA, are the expectations higher amongst the Western Kentucky fan base that, okay, you look at the New Mexico states coming in and, and Jacksonville states and things of that nature, no disrespect to them, you know, it's always going to be a level up, um, at least in terms of Jacksonville state, when you look at New Mexico state, still division one team, but they've struggled over the past decade or so. Um, but is there a feeling amongst Western Kentucky fans that, okay, in this next iteration of Conference USA, that we should be, you know, a stalwart, you know, top two, three in the league each year, regardless of sports? Yeah, I would say so. I think that's the feeling now. And I think the feeling is that the league is not improving uh, competitive wise. Uh, that's the feeling among the fan base, at least. You know, they, they have been competitive in this current CUSA. Um, that's changing, you know, just in a few months without Marshall and Southern Miss and ODU. Um, but, you know, you look at the results, you know, say the last three or four years, um, you know, Western's been one of those competitive teams. You know, Law Tech has had some issues. They've brought in a new coaching staff with, you know, Sonny Cumbie and stuff. So I think, you know, Law Tech is expecting to be, um, you know, an improved program moving forward. Um, you know, UTEP, had some success last year. It seemed like they struggled a little bit down the stretch. I know you just had Coach Demel on the podcast as well, um, you know, to kind of give his his thoughts and his opinions. FIU's had, as you know, um, their fair share of struggles these last few years. Um, but it seems like the new um, athletics director there and coaching staff are really trying to change things up and, um, you know, be a better program overall, not just football, but athletics. So I think – the league is hoping to move forward. I still think Western Kentucky, you know, in my opinion, should be one of the best teams in the league. Um, you know, you talked about some of those teams moving in. We didn't mention Liberty. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a team in the league that's going to compete in most sports. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. It'll add some competition there at the top. Um, but yeah, I, I, to go back to your original question, yeah, I think the thought is that, you know, Western Kentucky should be very competitive in this league. And um, you know, I don't think it's just the fan base thing. I think the athletic department thinks it as well, but I don't think that thought changes, um, you know, from the newest Conference USA to the last Conference USA, if you will. They just want to be competitive year in and year out. Get back to some football here as far as this current roster and go back to the offensive side of the ball. I want to ask you about Josh Simon, someone who had a heck of a freshman year, obviously banged up a little bit. What do you see his role being in? You know, especially in the fact that he didn't play a ton last year, I believe, due to, due to, due to injury. Um, what do you see his role being in in this offense? And, you know, what can you expect from him? Can we kind of see him get back to that level where he was in uh, 2019 and the, you know, level of expectation that was, okay, he had entering 2020? Yeah, I think he's going to be a very important piece of the offense. Um, I had talked to him for a big football preview section that we do right before the start of every season, did a big cover story on him. And then he ended up tearing, um, I believe, tearing his ACL, had a season-ending knee injury in the season opener against UT Martin. Um, so that's why he didn't play after that last year. 
um, you know, there's still a lot of upside for him. They're holding him out of spring, going to be extra cautious with him. Um, but he's expected to be ready, you know, come the fall and, and being an important part of that offense. And, you know, I think he can put up numbers, um, you know, like he did that freshman season or better. You know, Western Kentucky's had a good history of, you know, tight end play. You know, you look at a Tyler Higby, a Deion Yelder, um, you know, Jack Doyle. I think he could be that next in line. You know, that's why I wrote that story about him. Um, but, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy to think of the numbers that that offense put up last year, and most of that was without Josh Simon. So, yeah, I think he's going to be a big part of this offense. On the defensive side of the ball, as you mentioned in your talk with Joe a little bit earlier, they certainly suffered some losses, you know, with D'Angelo Malone, graduation, Beanie Bishop, and others as far as transfer. Jaden Hunter is a guy who was a former, I believe, five-star recruit when he signed with Georgia in class of 2018. And, you know, finally saw the the field last year. I think he had something like 65, 66 tackles, a handful of sacks, tackles for loss. What's the expectation for him entering year, I believe it's year four at West Kentucky, memory serves me correct? Yeah, I think he's expected to be a big piece. Um, you know, like I said, there's been a lot of turnover and the defensive personnel, and he's kind of been one of those consistent guys. Got a lot of playing time last year. Um, you know, big piece in the middle. You know, not just in his production, but in his leadership, I think, you know, they have some high hopes for him. He's a guy I talked to, um, you know, end of the first week of spring ball, him and Juwan Jones both, and they're trying to take on, you know, that role of a leader from some of the people that they lost. Um, and, you know, with a new defensive coordinator, pretty much a whole new defensive staff, there's the opportunities to, you know, maybe make a name for yourself even more than he already has. I want to ask you about one more player, a newcomer coming in, and you just – published a story about three hours ago uh upton stout <laughs> someone who played and we're going to get see a lot of this and we've seen a lot of it in the transfer portal era and probably will continue you know that interconference transfer we'll see i'm sure that won't stop anytime soon someone who was at north texas and now is at a west kentucky just talk about him a little bit yeah upton stout was not really a, a big signing uh, uh one guy that you know everybody was really hype about the fan base was really hype about this off season but that first week of practice he turned a lot of heads um you know they started march 22nd i believe um you know talking to guys like coach hudson the cornerbacks coach he, he was really high on him he's like he's a big time playmaker he's a bullet he's a heat-seeking missile he's everywhere um you know Jaden hunter and Jawan jones um you know without asking specifically what's up with upton stout um, you know, just saying like, hey, who are some players that have stood out? They both said Upton Stout first. Um, you know, he's a guy that's been flying all around the football field for them, making some big hits, you know, interceptions, forcing fumbles. Um, so I think he's a guy that they have a lot of hope for in that secondary. Um, you know, they had a little bit of some issues there last year as well, gave up more big plays than I think they would have liked. So I think they're trying to shore that up a little bit. And he's a guy that uh, I know they have a lot of high hopes for. Of course, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I like to finish up on somewhat of a light, you know, some lighthearted questions. So I'm going to start here, Jared. In your career, I want to ask you this. <laughs> doesn't matter the sport. Uh, doesn't matter the level. Just anywhere in your career. Most memorable press conference. What comes to mind? Most memorable press conference. That's a really good question. You know, it's probably going to be Rick Stansberry. Um, Western Kentucky's men's basketball coach, and you could pick uh, any number of them. He's in, he's a very um, you know good guy to work with, very personable guy. He likes to joke around a little bit with you. 
we had one uh, Zoom press conference. This was during the heavy COVID days. Someone had their dog pop up on the Zoom, and he got talking about his dogs and how important it is to care for dogs. And if you don't love a dog, you can't love anybody. Get you a dog before you get you a wife and stuff like that. And it just kind of went off the rails a little bit. Um, that's the one that stands out the most. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any others. But no, that, that one definitely stands out the most for me. There was one uh, last year. I was either on the way to the CUSA tournament or the way to the NIT. This was with Rick Stansberry again, again on Zoom because it was, you know, COVID season. Uh, I was driving down. I was in Arkansas somewhere, some random loves travel stop. Service was spotty. I was in the back of a minivan uh, that I had got from Enterprise. I had reserved a full-size car, got an SUV, got a flat tire in Memphis, had to trade it out. So it had been a long day up to that point. I didn't have much internet. And I, I usually ask a lot of questions during these things. I asked the first question and my internet kept cutting out. So I didn't want to you know, ask something that had already been asked. And, you know, Rick finished off. He's like, Jared, you have any more questions? You've been kind of quiet. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm in the car. And then he's like, what are you, what are you doing? I was like, I'm in the back of a minivan somewhere in Arkansas. He's like, I'm not going to ask any more questions. I'm not going to touch that one, one bit. So those have probably been the two most memorable for me. All right. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely entertaining. You know, I, I, I will say, I guess, um, you know, not everyone has the experience of, you know, a, a, a press drop uh, or a press conference backdrop debacle like I had last year, but those are, <laughs> those are two pretty, pretty solid ones. Uh, Going to finish up on, on this one, another lighthearted one. Uh, Jared, how happy are you that FIU is still in the conference and you get that trip uh, when time oh. allows? <laughs> oh man. I, when whole, that whole conference realignment thing was going on, um, I think I talked to Todd Stewart and I was like, Hey, if the Florida schools are both not in the conference, I was like, can you get like at least FAU or FIU, at least one of them non-conference. <laughs> and that, that I was happy to see FIU leaving. Um, you know, I know a lot of people look at things from a competitive standpoint, but I look at a lot of it as, you know, travel schedule standpoint. I want to go to some, you know, great cities and I love Miami. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I know I ran into you the day before down there. That was a good time. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Um, a little disappointed that game's up here this year. I know um, you're hoping to make the trip up. I'm uh, going to have to catch up again there. But, um, you know, at least I get FAU to close out the year, and I'll never complain about a Florida trip in November. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll definitely be there in Bowling in well, I almost said Bowling, Kentucky, in Bowling Green uh, this this year. And Joe, man, you gotta you gotta join Jared and I at Tap Forty Two down here in South Florida, man. It's always a an eventful time to get a chance to hang out with Mr. McDowell's in South Florida. But everyone loves South Florida, you know. I feel like Jared's answer is not unique. I mean, Grant Trailer from Marshall, Matty Mon, he loves South Florida. I feel like most people love the the, the South Florida trip. It's certainly an interesting game to cover. <laughs> <laughs> two completely different vibes being in the back of a van in Arkansas versus being in the back of a van in Miami. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can tell you which one I prefer. <laughs> you have something to add to that, Eric? No, no, just remember our boss is listening to this podcast. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is what it is, Beth. Uh, but 
<laughs> oh man, Jared, thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, once again, if anybody wants to follow Jared McDonald on Twitter, highly recommend that. J M A C Donald Sport uh, catches coverage of the tops in the Bowling Green Daily News, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again real soon as we uh, inch closer and closer to another uh, football season. And uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at J O E H I O underscore and at Eric C Henry underscore, and of course at underdog dynasty uh, for more G five football updates every day. And uh, hopefully we'll get some more head coaches on here real soon. Uh, happy football watching everybody. We'll talk to you real soon. Stay safe.